Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Argons. Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I would like to think that I am your Keyforge friend, and I am joined by one of my very favorite Keyforge friends. We call him Coach. You might know him as Boulevard Blake. What's happening, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? Not too badly. Not too badly at all. A topic that um, I've been given a lot of thought to lately, uh, especially as my schedule has gotten a lot busier, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about time management and time investment in Keyforge. Um, I think you and I are pretty well suited to have a conversation about this because you and I are two people who have invested a lot of our personal time into the game. You more so than me, but I'd also like to think that I, I, I've put a fair bit of my own time between this podcast, between tournament play, between just participating in the community. You know, we, we've invested a significant portion of you know, our lives, which is a finite resource, into the game. And I'm starting to, to when I'm feeling crunched from other things that I have going on in my life and I can't necessarily dedicate quite as much time to Keyforge, it starts to make me wonder how I relate to the game. So uh, I'm interested to get some of your thoughts as a person who has also got a lot of other things going on. If you folks don't know, Blake is a very busy individual between his photography and many of the other endeavors that he has going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that my my way of time management has been evolving. And I really like this topic for that reason, because when I first started with the game, there was the immersion of time into it strictly because I was just so into the game and I loved mm -hmm. it so much. I just wanted to constantly play it. So there was that original investment of time, just getting to know the game and, and the love for it. And then as I decided to take on the mantle of a content creator through this podcast and then article writing and then from that evolving into YouTube, uh, it's just been uh, sometimes a challenge to make everything work and keep up with expectations, um, especially as a content creator. I think mm -hmm. there there is a level of, of um, pressure you put on yourself that is maybe not actually felt from people on the other side of the screen or the microphone or the headphone, so to speak. So yeah, I've always had that in mind as I do things. I, I think the, the sort of the, the 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 way I look at it is that I don't know what it's like to be a casual Keyforge player because I've never been a casual Keyforge player. I've always been a plays the game every day if possible. You know, uh, really invests themselves into like learning the set and really knowing what the meta is reading people's posts online reading articles written on various websites you know the stuff that you've written uh stuff like uh, our friend lady aurora has written over on time shapers etc cetera, etc cetera. you know there's just there, there's just a wealth of stuff out there and for the longest time it's just a sponge for all of it like as much keyforge content as i get a hold of spoilers for new sets you know, people talking about strategy, reassessments of older sets, reassessment of decks, you know, new archetypes emerging and things like that. And over the course of the last, I would say, two months, I've had so much else going on uh, between being away and since basically I got back having so many other things going on in my life that it just I haven't been able to get myself into that Keyforge all the time headspace. You know, I've been able to play a, a game here and a game there, but I'm starting to feel a little bit disconnected from that broader world. And it started to make me wonder how much different is the experience for a casual player than it is for somebody like us, Blake, who has really been with the game for a very long time, has seen things change, has immersed themselves in the culture and, you know, sort of has a, a real connection to Keyforge, not just as a game that you play sitting at the table, but as a broader cultural entity. I also think there's an element to it as well that exists for 
people who kind of take it on as more of a casual thing. I think there's obviously people where Keyforge is their mainstay and that's what they, mm-hmm. they spend like a, a good portion of their, their, I guess, disposable time doing. And I think there's other people who Keyforge is a component within that time and they actually play a lot of other games. And I think we have a lot of people from our original group that started playing that, that kind of fell into that boat. And then as the this group of people who were more dedicated to the game and wanted to just immerse themselves in it, these other people, this was not their main game. It was one of the many myriad of games that they play. And as a result, they weren't dedicating the same time. And, and I think if uh, skill level changes just based on time presented, because if you're going to do something for a lot more hours than a next, the next person, mm-hmm. you, you should have a natural ability to play the game more efficiently and more proficiently as a result because of the fact that you just have dedicated more time as someone else and and i think that in the gaming world that that does exist and and i think that translates in various ways too where um we will talk about you know people are dedicated to decks in the game but then people also casually play decks where they'll play a bunch of decks and a variety of decks and i think that you can almost think that mentality as well within just a general gaming sense. So I think that that kind of takes part of the the reason of it's time management, but it's because they're spending less time on this game because they're also playing other games. And then of uh-huh. course, like you said, there's life as well where other priorities have to be taken into consideration that uh, are not for quote unquote free time for playtime. I mean, it's the thing we see in a lot of different like games that have competitive scenes you know i know people who play like say warhammer for example who just like playing like literal kitchen table warhammer because the idea of like having to go to a store where somebody has invested so much more time and effort than you have for whatever reason maybe you only want to invest a small amount of time into your warhammer army maybe you only want to invest a small amount of money into your warhammer army maybe you only have so much time and money you can invest into warhammer and so it's fun for them to play at the kitchen table with their family members or with friends who are on the same level. And it's no fun for them to play with people who have spent so much more time and effort on it because the it's not fun to get stomped by somebody who has so much more than you. I'd like to think that Keyforge is a pretty welcoming community and it has been a very welcoming community on my part. I'd like to think that when new people come out, we take care to sort of try and guide them to the game and try to have casual events that they can show up to especially here in Vancouver where we've had so many nights where it was just like, just people come out, bring whatever, you know, we'll, we'll, if uh, somebody's brand new, then we can teach them something, you know, not playing against some super heat. But at the same time, it does make me wonder when you only have so much time and effort to dedicate to the game, how different is the game for you as an experience? And, you know, I'll always know what I already know about Keyforge. If I never played another game after today, I might lose some of the general mechanics from my memory, but at the same time, I would definitely like your experience changes the more time and effort you spend on something. Your investment generally pays dividends, as you mentioned, with just knowing more about the game and how the game works. But it also has that thing of just being like you you, you relate more to people who are on that same tier of investment of time than people who are just kind of playing it casually kitchen table style. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I also feel like Keyforge is an incredible game for casual players because it is so easy at this point to get secondhand decks and build up just a library of decks that you could use for, you know, let's pull out 20 decks and just play them at the kitchen table and stuff like that. So it's something that I've been sort of dedicating some time and thought to just 
in terms of what kind of a game is Keyforge? Is Keyforge for casuals? Is it for people who really want to invest all that time and effort into it? Can it be both? And if it's both, do those two groups of people get to interrelate? Do you think? Yeah, that is that is interesting. And I, on that note, I also sometimes ponder like how many people play the game that the community that is more seen, we could say, like they're on Discord, Mm -hmm. they're on the Reddits, all that sort of stuff, always on TCO. How many people never enter that realm, never go to game stores to play because they just have their own insular group that they play with and therefore they never truly interact with the community at large? Like how big is that community? Like the true kitchen table group that they play with their friends, it's part of their game nights, it's not something that they're playing, you know, like every single week. I mean, I have a friend who falls under that category. Like we play almost every Friday night he's not come out once and he's actually quite a good player especially with Dark Tidings I must say uh, he kicks my butt every time <laughs> but it's like that That also makes me wonder like there's these people who don't even come to the LGS scene for various reasons some could be they, they don't want to enter that competitive environment where people are bringing cutthroat stuff and that's not how they want to spend their time like talking about time management you don't want to go to somewhere where it's uh, could be like considered a stressful environment because you you could consider playing in a tournament stressful because you're on the edge you're trying to make the best plays you're not trying to not make mistakes and you know that if you do make mistakes like people it's not like at home where you can be like oh can I just redo this again so uh, I wonder like how people spend their time in in that regard as well yeah that's actually something I've been thinking about as well as what is the the unseen keyforge community the people who literally just like. Maybe they're unaware of it. Maybe they're disinterested. Maybe they don't have time in it. And what does the game look like from their perspective? Because, you know, there are so many things that we've seen over time, Blake. You and I especially, I think, having done this podcast for such a long time and keeping up with current events within Keyforge for such a long time, where we've seen things like rules changes and things like that. And if you're not immersed in the community, how would you know about those things? Like, at what point do you become aware of, uh, you know, bait and switch changing? Like them literally errataing that card. You know, at what point do you find out that certain things that are like confusingly worded are meant to be interpreted in this way per rules? You know, it's very possible that you have your own pockets of Keyforge that is just a completely different experience, both in terms of the rules that people play by, the way that people have interpreted those rules, and the literal access to the decks they have. I am absolutely positive that there are siblings out there Um, usually people who still like live in a family setting who have bought sets to just play against each other. And because there is a period of time, especially uh, in Vancouver, where sometimes these folks would come out and literally the very first time of them playing with anybody other than the people in their own home, there was sort of that feeling of they're learning the game again. They already knew how to play it. And now they're learning the way that everybody else has been playing it, who's been paying attention to things like rules, errata, and stuff like that. Um, It's, of course, 100% okay for you to take that very casual approach and only play the game in those terms. But I also wonder, how appealing is the game as a casual game? And I'm not 100% convinced from my own perspective that it's as rewarding or as fun a game to play for me at least as a person, as it is when you are totally immersed in things. I think that the strategy, the 
overall picture of Keyforge that you get in your mind, the way that sets interrelate, the way things are happening in the competitive meta really adds to the experience for me. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I was suddenly so struck over the last couple of weeks of just like, man, I feel kind of disconnected from Keyforge because I've had so much other stuff going on. What's even happening in Keyforge right now? And it's not like I was out of the game for six months and three sets came out like that. It was just one of those things where, you know, when you're not totally immersed and not totally interrelating to the game, sometimes you start to feel like you're a bit, I guess, losing touch with it a little bit. Does that make sense, Blake? No, no, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I've, I've had moments where I kind of felt like I disconnected from the game just because for various reasons, sometimes it can be like the way people are choosing to play the game, like the, the types of decks that seem to be really, uh, or prominent on TCO. I'm just like not enjoying that style of game. And I'm very bad about setting up games with, with people in the community ahead of time as you just jump on and, and jam a few. I know you kind of do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it made me feel like disenfranchised with the game for a bit. But I'm also a person like when you talk about the casual nature of Keyforge, I feel like it is casual because it's so easy to just pick up a deck and play. Mm-hmm. Where I think about some of the other games I play, uh, most of them actually if not all of them are by FFG playing the LCGs mm-hmm. they're they're like I do get immersed in them but they require there's a little bit more to them like you have to assemble decks for like even if there's a deck building component if there's like the like you're going let's say Lord of the Rings you have the quests and stuff so you have to assemble all the parts that make up that encounter deck that you're going against and all these sort of other aspects to it. And you have to refresh yourself on the rules if you haven't played in a while. It's not as straightforward as Keyforge. Like Keyforge is quite straightforward in the casual sense where it's really easy to just pick up and play with someone. And you don't have to do anything other than make sure you got your tokens. Like that is probably the most tedious part about anything is making sure you have all the tokens because everything else in the deck is just right there. You shuffle it up and you mm-hmm. play. It's very straightforward. There's no uh, resource issue where you're getting to, to quote, the common magic phrasing like mana screwed mm-hmm. um, or land flooded, whichever one happens to be your your bag of tricks for your uh, discontent within that game in that moment. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that's where I think Keyforge does have that casual aspect because you can prevent those feels bad moments that can exist within the game. And that's something that's so cool about it. I mean, obviously you can have two decks that are not well matched and don't create a fun environment in terms of the play style in that regard. But I mean, the idea of like using chains for balance, that's something that I don't think the way that the community at large plays really takes hold. I think that concept probably exists more within those uh, casual environments in the kitchen table, but whether they actually, you know, take on that role of monitoring their own play experience and using chains to be like, well, I like this deck, but against this deck, it just doesn't win. How can I still play this deck against that deck? Because you like playing that deck. How do we how do we balance it out? And I and I'm very curious about doing that. Like I almost want to try an experience where find out two decks and there's there is an imbalance and try that chaining suggestion that dr garfield originally came up for the game around the kitchen table yeah the idea of of chaining as the the keyforge handicap has always been a tough one because obviously you get chains based on wins um and that was a thing that works well through organized play but if you're just playing around the kitchen table like there's no guideline to how much you should chain up a deck you know, uh, oh, you know, how do you even gauge how much more powerful this deck is than that deck? Well, I guess it's just sort of trial and error, but I'm I'm not entirely convinced just because 
chains themselves as a concept, you know, I have to refresh myself on how chaining works in competitive environments all the time. And I've been playing this game for as long as it's been out, you know, literally mm-hmm. since since it first appeared in, in retail stores. So it's a concept that I think has gained a lot more prevalence and prominence with the addition of chains, you know, on cards and things like that. But I mean, as just a general handicapping thing, I don't know how well it works because I don't know that those guidelines for how you use it in that context really exist beyond the world of organized play. And as we talk about organized play, it's a good segue for me to ask Blake, if there was no competitive scene here in Vancouver or no community, let's say, so no events at happening in any stores. We know a lot of people have that experience where Keyforge is just not a thing in their town. They're a person who plays it. They like playing it, but they don't have access to be able to play it in person. How would that impact how much time you want to spend on the things that you do within Keyforge? Would you still want to do this podcast? Would you still want to create YouTube content? Would that become then the primary way that you interact with the game? That's a very interesting question. Because I have like two schools of thought within the way you just phrase that. Well, the first one is that basically during the pandemic, that's kind of what it was. Uh, But at the same time, I did have like, there was a friend that he was pretty much the only person I was hanging out with during the pandemic. Uh, We each lived by ourselves. And within BC, that was one of the things if you live by yourself, you could interact with another person in the same suit. So we hung out like literally, like I said, every Friday, him and I would hang out and play. And we took up Keyforge as a game we played every Friday. We were originally playing video games and then it came down to like he actually enjoyed Keyforge. And so we played every single Friday. We would do different things and it got to a point where I had so many decks and especially when Dark Tidings came out, I'd just bring two new decks and we play Blind Seal. Don't even look at the deck, shuffle up, play. And then we swap decks and play it like kind of an adaptive style just to see how, how it goes. And I really enjoyed that. But I pick up card games specifically to not have a screen in front of my face. So if Keyforge was, for example, introduced to me like during the pandemic where I would only be able to play on TCO and I would not be able to play, I don't know if I would have actually gotten into the game. It was being able to come out to Connections, come out to Stronghold, going out to Rain City and connecting with all our folks here locally. That is what made me love the game. It wasn't actually the game itself the game itself was the component that brought us all together and allowed us to have the interactions and the fun community that we do have here in Vancouver. And that's what made me love the game is like, not only do I get to play a fun game, but I get to connect with people and disconnect from technology. That is the big thing for me. And that's why I would dedicate a lot of time to it. So I think if I was introduced to the game during a time when I could not do that, I would not be as savvy into the game. Now, as you said about doing content and stuff like that, yeah, that probably would end up being my way of connecting more so and spending time and doing things like that because that is right now a way that I do connect with a lot of people is I enjoy the fact that people will want to have a conversation because we do this podcast. I know you experience this too or on TCO. People will make a comment that they listen to the show and they enjoy it and whatnot and it, and it then provides almost like a doorway to start having a dialogue with them in a conversation on TCO chat, which is yeah. really nice. And even it's in social. discords. Yeah. It adds, it adds a new social element that if people don't know who I am or, or don't know that I do this podcast, there's like zero conversation, zero connection for the most part. It's actually literally just like, it feels very transactional mm-hmm. and it's, and it's got a cold feeling to it in a way. Uh, there's other people. I mean that I legitimately have, 
this person name on TCO, you may have seen it's Mibluffin, M-I-B-L-U-F-F-I-N. Lots of games against Mibluffin. Yeah, all the time. And great conversations, always great Mm -hmm. games. It was like I was seeing like regular, it was almost like we had a standing date that we never planned to the point where this coming (laughs) week, I decided to do a YouTube show and actually interview Mibluffin because I'm playing against this person so much that I was like, I actually want to like have a conversation with you now because it's just it just seems silly not to at this point. Like I have the the channel and the means to, it makes sense to do it. So let's do it because I feel like um, it'd be a good idea. And it's just kind of one of the cool things about the game is it's so easy to just connect with people. And I think that's the other reason why you dedicate time to this game is because of the fact that the community is so open and welcoming and you can make genuine friendships through the game. I mean, you and I are an example with Rick and Sydney when we can finally meet her, that's going to be another person or a local group. I mean, Dan from Sanctimonious and I are like genuinely really good friends outside of even Keyforge. Like we just started another podcast together about playing games, period, because he doesn't always play Keyforge, but he wanted to do a podcast with me for forever. So we decided to do that. I've literally gone to his house, crossed the border, and we literally met playing Keyforge on TCO. And I've stayed at his house. Like we got that good of a friendship. So it's such a cool part of the game that it makes you want to invest more time because what you're getting out of it beyond just the game itself is so great. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that, you know, uh, if anybody is listening to this going like, oh man, is Scuzzy losing his love for Keyforge? No, that is absolutely not what is happening here. This is Scuzzy being frustrated at the fact that with all the other stuff in Scuzzy's life, it's making it more difficult for me to find the time that I used to be able to dedicate uh, to Keyforge and sort of me thinking about how that's changed my relationship with the game. But honestly, just talking with you about it, Blake, it's like as a reminder of all the rewarding things that we've been able to do because of Keyforge, the kind of interactions I've been able to have with people in our local community, people that we've had online, the rewards of doing something like this podcast, which are considerable to me. I get to talk to my friends about something that I'm interested in talking about. I get to learn something. I get to then have the relationship that uh, I have with listeners of this podcast when I get to meet them online and in other forums like it's it's entirely a thing that i don't want to take anything away from the experience of the casual keyforge player the person who plays at kitchen table who just plays with their family who only like takes out a deck that they bought uh to play at a local uh you know casual night you know once every couple of months because that's all the only time that they can get away from their family and stuff like that that's obviously a good and rewarding experience for them but at the same time, there's also the part of me that says that Keyforge is so much more to me when I can give a lot more to the game of myself and my own time. And I think that's partially where some of the frustration that I'm feeling lately is coming from. I think everything with time and, and when it comes to like different forms of hobbies, there's always an ebb and flow of, of what you can take out and what you can put in. And you just got to do when you can. And, and, you know, even though you can't dedicate to all the ways you normally really like to do, the great thing about Keyforge is on average on TCO, you can get a game in with 15, 20 minutes, no problem. It's more rare that you're hitting the 30 minute mark. So that's the one great thing about mm-hmm. Keyforge. I remember a time, Blake, actually, when it was you would uh, have difficulty finding a game on the Crucible. Like yeah. you could sit there for like 20 minutes and not have a game come up. That never happens anymore. Like there is a mm-hmm. dedicated community of people who play online and that has made it possible to always get in a little time on Keyforge. And that's the thing I've been trying to keep on mind is if I feel like playing some Keyforge, I can play some Keyforge and it doesn't have to be, you know, me dedicating, you know, several hours or my entire lunch hour to it. It can literally be me just going, well, you know, I'm going to start cooking dinner in 25 minutes. 
I'm going to sit down right now and play a game of Keyforge. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a way for me to sort of continue and keep my investment in it. But at the same time, a lot of this was sparked by the fact that I was so excited to come back and play live. Circumstances conspired against me yesterday and I wasn't able to do it and I was really bummed out about it. But at the same time, now I think just having this conversation with you, I'm getting reared up. I really want to come back and play some Keyforge live and in person since we have that ability here in Vancouver. Um, all, all other factors aside, this has been a great conversation. And I'm actually, I think I'll start off next week's episode if Sydney's back with us just by asking her a couple of questions related to this, no matter what we end up talking about that week, because she is a person who is dedicated to so many other games. You know, uh, Sydney's mm-hmm. husband hosts a podcast about other games. They have lots of other games in their household. And she's also a person who has a career and a family and so many other things. And so she's a person whose perspective I, I'm very curious to hear on how do you dedicate and how much can you dedicate and where do you find the satisfaction? Where does that that all fit together? Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Blake, what do you got going on? Well, this is something that happens to me um, because of Dark Tidings specifically. It's it's never really been a thing that has existed prior to it where I've had to have this sort of um I'm gonna call it you know little little reminder in the back of my mind as I'm playing and and yesterday when we played sealed it was uh, it came it came to light and that is the addition of a card or two actually two cards called infighting and grand melee these two cards, for those of you who are not familiar, infighting is an untamed action that says uh, each creature deals damage equal to its power to its right neighbor. Okay? And then Grand Melee says destroy each creature that does not share a house with its neighbor. You constantly have to realize, like playing Sealed, I literally played cards that I did not have to play the way I did. And as soon as I did it, I looked at my opponent, who is Daniel, for those of you... Um, ban solitude on discord and i literally looked and i was like oh he's got sanctum i'm like oh no i didn't set up for the grand melee like you have to play in sealed like even when it's not there you have to play as if it exists because to risk not is is way more detrimental so constantly remembering okay i gotta put this creature to the left because if it deals damage to the right it won't kill that creature and you have to constantly keep this in mind or okay i'm willing to let this creature go they have the same power it's it's this constant thought and you have to be very very conscious of the way you're playing all your creatures. And if not, are you willing to sacrifice creatures? So for example, if you have a creature that you know is not going to have two neighbors of the same and your opponent has Sanctum and you're playing Sealed, you have to remember, do not put any Ember on that creature because there's a very high possibility it can just get blown up from a Grand Melee. Same thing with infightings. You have to be consciously always thinking about this. It has to be like anytime. It, I would almost even say play as if it always exists because there is a chance that it will hurt you. And then there's also other things that exist that say like do things if neighbors share a house. So there's there's the constant back and forth. But I think the grand melee and infighting have the most impact on your own game where if you don't line it up correctly, it could be real problematic for the way that the the board wipes will come down or the removal will come down on your side. And that yesterday was just a reminder for that because I know when I have infighting in my deck, I'm very conscious about playing it. But it's when you don't know what's across from you that you have to kind of have this contingency plan and play for it. And if you don't, it will hose you. Excellent lesson. 
You can find us, of course, on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and on Instagram and on The Crucible when I have time for it. Blake, what kind of YouTube stuff do you have going on and where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. Same on my YouTube. That's BLVD Blake. And right now I'm just uh, kind of working through some things on my YouTube, some different series. Uh, this is the last month of the Bag of Decks giveaways for all my Patreon supporters. Um, there'll be new giveaways. It's not the end of giveaways. It's just in this format of Bag of Decks, which was just a mixed bag of random decks drawn from every set. Uh, we're, we're getting the last month. Then it'll be something new. If you want to be a part of my uh, Get Some Decks one, then uh, check out my Patreon. Uh, it's on my YouTube there. And uh, I'm also doing some different series. The World's Clyde Adaptive Tournament is going strong. One episode every week comes out Thursday, same day as this podcast. Uh, this week, uh, I have Scrowner on doing a fun, fun episode. Terrific. We'll be back again next week with yet another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay fortunate.